We're going to continue, and this is the last week of Dinner with Jesus. Um, so yeah, it's a seven-week series about having meals with Jesus. How can you pull that off? It's because he ate a lot with a lot of people. So uh, there's a lot of things you can learn from those meals. We can do it. I actually could have went longer, but um, we're going to start a new series here in two weeks. And so um, the next series is going to be a little bit different. And what we do during that series is going to be a lot different. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be good. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll wait and find out. Um, I, I like to leave things wrapped. And that way when it's unwrapped, you're like, whoa. Right? like Christmas morning. You, you want me to turn myself up? The only way I could do that is like this. I got to talk louder for you. I could do it. No microphone. No microphone. What a day that was. So we're going to continue. We're actually going to um, be going into what is, I think, probably the most important dinner that Jesus had with anybody during his time here, which is what we know as the Last Supper. You all saw the picture before, Leonardo da Vinci, that picture with um, all the people sitting around the table wearing the clothes of Leonardo da Vinci's time. So I think if we redid that painting, right? We Think about all the time periods. Like if they redid the painting in that time's clothing, like in the 70s, <laughs> bell-bottoms, hippies, <laughs> in like the 90s, MC Hammer pants and mullets. Right, like you can go through all the different time periods, but that's what that, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to get into uh, the Last Supper a little bit, and it's funny because this happens all the time. It seems like anymore, but um, the words that we're given this morning fall right in line with what the Lord is going to say to us today through this passage. And so, um, you know, we don't address certain things a lot in church um, these days. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't want to talk about sin because sin is. Literally nowadays, like, what's that, right? We don't, it's all about love, and love does not have responsibility. Love, love does not have commitment, um, not like the Scripture says it's supposed to have, because in our culture, it's like I can do what I want when I want, and I can, and I can still call that love. But if I love my wife, right, I'm committed to her. If I love my wife, I take care of her. All those kind of things. There's a responsibility, and there's a commitment that comes with love, and the same thing is true with us. Um, and with the world um, today, you can't just say, well, love is love. Love is not love unless love is fully full of commitment. And there's only one true love, and that is from the Lord, right? Everything else is frivolous. And so when you have a relationship with Jesus, you finally, for the first time in your life, know what love is. I thought you knew what love was, and then you fell in love with Jesus. I like, now I know what love is. And now, because I know what love is, I begin to walk in that connection and the relationship with the Lord, and now I learn to begin to love correctly. And loving correctly comes with a lot of things. But um, So today, we're going to spend some time talking about the condition of the heart. Uh, I think it's important that we understand and get into these kind of things and don't just ignore them. And so um, we're going to end this series with this. I think it's important. So we're going to start with John chapter 13. And we're going to start with verse number one. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that's a really cool phrase that's used a lot in Scripture. In other words, in the New Testament, you, like, you hear the phrase, like, his hour had not yet come. Like, so it wasn't time for him to, to go to the cross yet, this, that, and the other. But now we have a different passage where it's saying now his hour, he knew that his hour had come, that he would depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. 
He loved them to the end. I'm going to stop right there. There is an important, because we always talk about like God loves everybody. Would you all admit that God loves everybody? There is a God loves everybody enough to give his own life for everybody so that all could have the opportunity to come to him and give their life to him and then receive new life in Jesus. But there is a different kind of love. It's like I can love my neighbor or my cousin or my aunt or my uncle. It's still a different kind of love than the love I have with my wife, right? It's different. There's a different, there's a, it's the relationship determines the kind of love it is. So he loved us enough to say, I'm going to lavish my love on you. I'm going to pour out my love on the world. But then those who have surrendered their life to Jesus have now connected with Jesus. Because listen, it's not true what the world says, that we're all God's children. It is not true. It is not a biblical concept. Jesus is the only begotten son right, of the Father. But anybody else who becomes a son or daughter or father only becomes that by way of salvation. Right? Once you give your life to Jesus, you now become adopted children of God. Before that, you're not a child of God. You have the opportunity to become a child of God. He's laid it out. You say, I love you. I care for you. I went to the cross for you. You can come to know me. As you come into a relationship with me, now you can become a child of God. And as a child of God, there is a different kind of love because it's revelation type love. It's like, now I get it. Now I know it. I understand it. It's real to me. It's relational, right? And so in this passage, he's saying he loved his own. Speaking of those disciples that he walked with, there was a close relationship and intimacy that caused him to love them on a level that maybe those who didn't walk with him or didn't know him didn't experience, right? It's not that he didn't love everybody. It's just that he loved and knew them. It's a different thing. Same with us. We love and know him, right? That's, that's how it is. And so he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. I'm going to stop right there just for a moment. I'm going to read another passage in just a minute because I think it's relevant. It's interesting that all 12 disciples walked with Jesus for three straight years. And at the end of that time period, there was just one of them that the devil had, literally, according to Scripture, the devil had already put into his heart. Very important phraseology that's happening here. Because the enemy can speak to you, by the way, God talks, God speaks, God loves you. He speaks through his word, he speaks to you when you're praying, he speaks to you when you're in the shower, he speaks to you. If you're walking with him, you have a relationship with him, he speaks to you all the time. It's up to you to listen. We had a series on that, remember, remember we talked about that. But, you know, the devil's not silent. The enemy is not silent, he speaks too. He speaks to deceive, to trick, to, to devour, according to scripture. So he's constantly speaking. Now the condition of our heart determines what we receive and how we receive it. And in this passage, there is one out of all the disciples. You don't think, I, I personally believe that he was trying to manipulate and trick every single one of the disciples. It's not like he only, like this one. Like, no, I think the enemy is like, he, he, takes, he plays the numbers game. There's 12 of them. I just need one. So he manipulates, but one had a heart that was willing. First of all, I entertained what he was saying. I think some of us in our walk with the Lord, matter of fact, every one of us at one time or another have entertained what the devil speaks to us. We pray that prayer, lead us not into temptation. Well, the enemy will always draw to temptation. Always try to draw us away from the Lord in connection with the Lord. But if your heart's right, you're able to recognize, acknowledge, and then cast down every idol of imagination before that imagination gets to the heart. 
And with Judas, that's not what took place here. It got to the heart. David said in Psalm 119.11, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. I'm going to break this down a little bit. I've treasured your word. First word, treasure. We're going to get in what is it? treasure in the time period of, of the scripture, when these scriptures were written, when David wrote this. Um, they would have, like, they didn't have banks, safety deposit boxes, things like that. If they had something, they saw an item that was very valuable, very important, that they saw that I don't want this to get stolen, right? I don't want anybody to take this. They literally would bury it. It was a common thing to, tr- to bury your treasure, the things that were important to you, in a spot where only you knew where it was. And so when he's saying he treasured your word, the word in the Hebrew used here is similar to saying that he hid or he buried. So he treasured the word. He, the word was so valuable to him. Now, what word is he talking about? He's talking about the word of Moses that Moses spoke. He's talking about the word of the prophets that they spoke. Um, they didn't have Jesus yet when David wrote these things. They didn't have the New Testament. But what he did have is the law. What he did have was the word of the prophets. What he did have were all these things. So he's saying that the words of the Lord were so valuable, so important, that just like I would hide my treasure on earth and bury it so that nobody else could find it, so nobody else could take it from me, David's saying the same thing. This this word, your word is so valuable to me, God, so important, so life-giving, that I'm going to bury it right here into the heart. And why would he do that, that he might not sin against him? And I think this is what we're talking about today. That the word of the Lord, not just the Scripture, the Scripture is great. I'm going to share something. This is a really true story. We read the Scripture every single day, and it's good, and we teach that we should do that, and it's good. We should do that. But when you look at the church around the world, places like China, where a lot of times they can't even have Scripture, they don't read the Bible every day. Yet somehow they still thrive in relationship with the Lord. How do they thrive in a relationship with the Lord when they don't have the Bible? Because at times they did, right? There's times where they find through the underground church, they, people give Bibles to them, they read them, they study them, they devour them. Literally, the Chinese church, church, underground church in China, they will learn the Bible cover to cover, even memorize it. It's that important to them. It's such a treasure that they know that I'm only going to have this for a short period of time because once I get caught with it, They're going to take it away from me. I might get arrested, and other things will take place. As a matter of fact, most of the church in China have been arrested multiple times for their faith. And so they're going to get arrested. It's going to be taken. So what do they do? They learn it. They devour it like anything else, nothing you've ever seen. And they know the word. Like you have conversations. Remember uh, the guy across the street from the church in uh, Flint? He's Asian. He he literally knew the word like you would never believe. I, I never met anybody that knew the word like he knew it. But more than that, I've probably never met anybody who walked by faith like he walked by faith. He had somebody break into a store, he owned a store, and he put a gun to his head, telling him to give all the money. They were trying to rob him. And he literally looked at him in the eyes and said, get out of my store in the name of Jesus. And the guy yelled again, give me all, and like multiple times he just kept repeating, get out of my store in the name of Jesus. What did the guy do? He got out of the store in the name of Jesus. Like, so he walked in this faith. The guy probably was like thinking, I have a gun to your head, and you're saying this over and over. You must be crazy. But this guy was a guy just like this. He hid the word of the Lord in his heart, treasured it so much that the word just became not just there, but the seed of the word. The Bible talks about the word being a seed. It just grew and manifested. It came. So now you have a church that they don't even have to read it because it's already there. We read it occasionally. We don't remember most of it. And I'm not saying this to make us feel guilty. I'm saying this, like I'm looking at the people that we're talking about, and they inspire me. 
I want to be like them. I want to be the kind of person that has the word so hidden in my heart that if there's ever a time in my life or ever a time in the world, which I believe there will be, where the word of God will be considered a bad thing to have. That no matter what I'm facing, it won't matter because the word is already here. Imagine the tragedy of having the scripture in your hands for decade after decade, and then persecution comes to America. You're no longer allowed to have the word, and you can't stand because you didn't know it or understand it. More importantly, it's not even about knowing it. Right? It's one thing to have it. It's another thing to treasure it. And that's what's happening here. It's one thing to have the word. We have the word, but we don't often treasure it. It's not that important. We, have, we know about the Lord, but there's not a love that comes with responsibility and commitment, right? And so I show up to church when I want to. I commit to certain things when I want to. Not all the time. Just I'm not really committed to the Lord. I'm just, I, have the, I love the Lord in my own way. Well, by the way, there's only one way to love the Lord, right? The Bible's clear. If you love me, you'll be obedient. You'll follow me. You'll serve me. And so it's not about when I want to, how I want to. It's about I will do this all the time. I'm not being mean or harsh today. Trust me, this is just I feel like a word from the Lord that we need to hear. His word is not just to be held on a table. It's to be treasured. And a true treasure we bury in our hearts. Because then when the enemy comes with those temptations that he comes with, and with the things he wants to do to draw us away from the Lord, now I have those things rooted in my word, and there's only room there for so much. And since this word has captivated my heart, I don't have word, room for what the enemy's trying to speak into my heart. So it's going to get here. I'm going to recognize and acknowledge it because my heart is full. And then I'm going to, like, I'm going to cast down the idle imagination. I win. I get victory over that temptation. But we have a man here who walked with Jesus for three years. And yet, the enemy was able to get the deceptive words and plan into his heart. I pray that that never happens to us. So the first part is treasured. The second part is that word. And the third part is that we, um, as those who are in the Lord, we have to get that word buried. Treasure it. If I could say anything to us today, treasure his word to the point where your heart is full of it. Not your mind. Hear me today, not your mind. Don't be the smartest person in the room. Be the one who loves Jesus so much that I'm going to read in your word and I'm going to know you so that he changes me, transforms me on a daily basis. It's all the time. It's constant. It's relational. It's revelation giving. Like, right, right? The Bible is living and active. It's a living organism. It's not like a normal book. We call it the good book sometimes. The good book. No, it's the book. But it's not just a book, it's a living organism that lives on the heart, inside the heart of those who follow Jesus. And as I walk with the Lord, it is like constant flowing and moving and bringing growth to me and helps me to walk. So we need to treasure his word that way. Treasure his word that way. You want to know how not to sin. And by the way, we all fall short. There is not a single person in here who doesn't. This has been a very convicting study for me because I acknowledge and recognize the fact that... It, I, I need this. I need to treasure his word more. I need to treasure his word so much, and I need to hide it in my heart. I need to cultivate it, and I need to be able to allow him to work inside of me so that I can learn to get to a point because he followed that up by saying, so that I might not sin against you. That word treasured in our hearts is what helps us to not sin against the Lord. John chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him 
and that he had come forth from God as going back and, and was going back to God. Now, I'm going to stop right here because Jesus, this passage is pretty cool. Um, this is, you're going to see, now, first you saw Judas. The enemy had tricked him and deceived him, and now Judas is about to go to work, right, and do the things that he had been intended in his heart by the enemy. But now Jesus is about to go to work. But before he does this, Jesus had knowing that the Father handed him all things, all things over to him. Now, what that means is like the Bible says in Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So when Jesus is saying here that he knew that he's knowing that God had given all things to him, he just didn't just give them like stuff. He gave him power. He gave him authority that literally every single king and every single prince and every single person that ever walked the face of the earth was under the authority of Jesus, right? He, was, he had been given all authority. So what does somebody do with all authority, all power? We have examples of people who've had power, right? Guys like Hitler, what do you do with his power? Guys like Stalin, what do you do with his power? Politicians in general, what do they do with their power? Right now, currently in our world, we have people like in Venezuela and Russia and China and South, uh, North Korea, where there are people who are like a dictator-type mindset. They have all this power, and their power that they use is, I'm going to control, and I'm going I'm to make sure everybody knows who I am, how great I am, how amazing that I am, that I'm the best one there is, and I'm going to control everything you do, and I'm going to do so by inflicting fear in you, right? That's power. It's one way to handle it. What does Jesus do in John chapter 13? And for after he says, knowing that God had given him all things, all authority, all power, all those kind of things, he got up from supper and he laid his outer garments aside and he took a towel and he tied it around himself and then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. So Jesus, knowing that God the Father had given him all things, all authority in heaven and earth, his response to all of that power was then to say, I'm going to wash the feet of the disciples. Remember we talked a few weeks back about how they sat at the tables back then? Remember when they get together for a large gathering, especially around festival times, and this is around Passover, um, that they would actually have that table that was in the middle. I wish I had got the picture up again for those who don't know, but there would be a table in the middle, and there would be these seats that would wrap all the way around the table like a U-shape. And it was U-shaped so that those who were serving could bring the food from the one in and, and fill the table. They would all lay. It wasn't like sitting like us. It's, it's very awkward. I think it's kind of silly. Um, but they, they laid down and ate. So when you see Jesus reclines at the table, often you see that in the scripture. That's because he was reclining at the table. They would lay sideways on their left arms. Because most people are right-handed. That would be really terrible if you were the one that was left-handed. <laughs> but they would lay on their left side so they could reach their food with the right and they would eat. Right? So this is what's happening at this table. They're reclining and eating. And so naturally, they're already in position for somebody to go over to where their feet were because they're laying down, and they could just, he could just wash their feet one by one, going in that U-shaped um, tape while they were sitting at the table. He got up, and he began to do this at that table. Now, in a minute, we'll, we'll, I'm going to read a couple of different passages. Might as well just go to them right now. But this is what's happening. He is, he is in this moment, in the same moment he acknowledges and said, I knew that God gave me all things, power, authority, all those kind of things. He now humbles himself and what's interesting, if you go to Luke chapter 22 of the same story, you find out that the disciples were actually in this time period, they were arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. They were arguing in this moment about who's the greatest. Kind of like we talked about with those people of power, right? They knew they walked with Jesus. They knew that they were really cool people, right? I walked with Jesus. I knew him. The guy who raised the dead, the guy who did miracles, the guy who 
opened blind eyes. We walked with him. We must be awesome too. And so they're arguing about how great they are and who's going to be the greatest. And while they're doing so, the one who is the greatest, who has all authority, gets down and begins to wash their feet. That's a statement. That's a powerful statement he's trying to make to them at this point in time. So go to John chapter 13, verse number 6. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet. Lord, you are... So it's like an obvious thing, right? Lord, you are washing my feet. Of course I am. Can't you tell that I'm washing your feet? But I think Peter was, we'll find out in just a minute, Peter was kind of just surprised about what was taking place. He said, Lord, you are washing my feet. Jesus answered and said to him, what, what, what I am doing, you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Peter is such a punk. I, I, I feel like I'm mean to Peter sometimes because he reminds me of me. So Peter, Peter constantly would argue with Jesus. And that's what he, he's washing his feet, and he's like, never will you wash my feet. I'm already, I already am. Like, you just acknowledge, Jesus, you are washing my feet. Never will you, I'm already washing your feet, Peter. But that's what's happening, but there's still this argument. Never shall you wash my feet. And so he continued to, to, take, to do that, and so we see Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Actually, I, I, I messed up. Jesus Andrew said to him, what I am doing, you don't understand. Peter said, you should not wash my feet. I think I might have skipped a verse. I did. Part of eight, I think. Because Peter again later on says, no, you will not wash my feet. And then this is what Jesus answered. If, you do not wash, if I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Because sometimes we can think, now Peter did this often. I think Peter sometimes, he really did love the Lord, by the way. It wasn't like he was faking it. He loved the Lord. You're going to find that out in just a minute with the way things are worded here. You know that Peter loved the Lord. But Peter often did things, I think, in a way where I'm super spiritual. Like, I'm not going to let you wash my feet, Jesus. No, you're not going to die on the cross, Jesus. Remember, get behind me, Satan. Later on, when the vision he has, before he talks to the Italian Cornelius, the thing comes down and he's like, you're going to do this. No, I'm not going to do this. Like, he was just that way, but what Peter always did afterwards when he was instructed is Peter always ended up doing. So his heart was right. He just had this respect and honor for the Lord where he was like, I can't let you do this to me. And when Jesus had to tell him sometimes multiple times for him to finally understand it. But as soon as he said to him, if I don't wash you, you have no, no place with me. So Simon and Peter's response again is overboard. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And like Peter's like, Jesus, like, I've never planned on washing your entire body, just your feet. There was a customary washing that took place where they walked around in these sandals and the ground was just dirt. And so anytime you came into the home for a meal like this, actually typically the host would wash the feet of the person who walked through the doors in order to have clean feet so they can actually, you know, not be dirty and disgusting. So it was a customary thing. And this situation, nobody did. So Jesus ends up doing it. Later on, it was customary, but it was also on purpose. Jesus wanted to be the one who did it because he wanted to show what the kingdom looks like. That the greatest in the kingdom will become the least. The first shall become last, and the last shall become first. It's not about you becoming great. It's not about you becoming amazing. You just argued about who's the greatest, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You totally missed the point, what I taught you for the last three years. You are to love your neighbor, love your enemy, love yourself. You are to surrender and sacrifice and lay down your life for one another. You don't be first. You be last. 
You try to promote the people who are with you. And at the end of the day, God will promote you at the right time, right? That's how it works in the kingdom. It's totally different. Jesus is trying to help them to understand. But then Jesus said to him, he who has bathed, meaning completely washed, like their whole body, needs only to wash his feet. Otherwise, he is completely cleaned. And you are clean. So he's speaking to Peter specifically. You're clean. And you think he's only talking about the physical part, but not all of you, he says. For he knew the one who was betraying him. It was for this reason that he said, not all of you are clean. So Jesus, being awesome like he was, these words that he used were pretty profound. But he's like, I don't need to wash all of you. You already bathed today. I only have to wash your feet. You walked here and your feet are dirty. You need to wash your feet. But you were already clean. And then he goes immediately from that. And I believe he was talking about the heart in that passage because he immediately transitions and talks about Judas and say, but one of you is not clean. One of you has received the lies of the enemy and didn't just hear it in the ear and let it get into the mind, but you let it get into the heart. The word was not a treasure. It was not hidden. 30 shekels of silver was his treasure not the words of the Lord. So he received the wrong thing, and he began to operate in that wrong thing. Remember that passage I read a few weeks back regarding when they were having dinner, and he said that you clean the outside of the cup, but not the inside of the cup? It's kind of what he's talking about here. You wash and bathe physically, but Judas, your heart is dirty. Your heart is full of sin. Verse number 12 Then when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you not know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for I am so. I think we need to do a little bit more of that, by the way. In our culture, we need to stop. He is loving. He is caring. He is there. But there's not enough you are Lord. Capital L, Lord meaning you rule my life. There's not enough of that, of people who say they follow Jesus. We follow Jesus to the extent that I want to. When it's hard, I'll decide to do my own thing. But he loves me, so it's okay. But he's not Lord of your life, meaning he's in control. He's leading your life. Trust me when I say this. This is not to be mean. This is for your own good and for my own good. When he is truly Lord over our life, it is a blessing. When we let him lead and direct our path, there is goodness that comes with that, right? There is favor that comes with that. There are a lot of great things. Yes, there might be some difficult times because when we serve the Lord, we will be rejected at times. But it's better to have him Lord and be rejected than to have him not be Lord and have everything you want. Trust me, I could tell you from experience, I've walked both roads. Even as a believer, I've walked both roads at times. The blessing of the Lord when he is in charge is amazing. So he says in verse 14, So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than its master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. So in other words, like if I did it, like you should do it because you're not better than me, Right? You're not better. Matter of fact, I'm better, and I did it, so therefore you should just do it too because you're not too good to do it. I think sometimes we think about feet washing. I've, seen, I've been in feet washing. Anybody been in a feet washing service before where people did feet washing? I've, I've been in those services. It's kind of gross. 
Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, but there's something that is kind of cool about it, something that, so humility about it, because you're literally having to, because here's the one Jesus said, that the sound of the name of Jesus, every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess that he is Lord. He's that king that everybody's going to bow to him one day, but here he is. He literally had to bow at their feet in order to wash their feet. The kind of humility that God wants from us, the church, that we're willing to be humble, serve one another, care for one another, that our hearts, I think there's something too about when you serve one another and you care in that manner where I don't have to be the greatest, it protects your heart, right? It's kind of like not just the words in my heart, but now I'm living the word, and there's a protection that comes with that where our heart is protected because we're too busy serving people and loving people and caring for people to listen to what the devil has to say. Like he's a liar. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to keep doing what you called me to do. So if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I am not speaking about all of you. I know the ones whom I have chosen. But this is happening so that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who receives anyone I send receives me, and the one who receives me receives, the one, receives him who sent me. When Jesus said these things, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, that, the one who, the one, that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one it was he was speaking because they all know Jesus by now. If Jesus is saying it, it must be true, right? So, like, who's the one? It's not me. Lying back on Jesus' chest was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Of course, this is John writing this about himself again. So, I could be mean to John too. He really, really believed that Jesus loved him. So, um, so Peter, so Simon Peter nodded to this disciple and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. He then simply leaned back on Jesus' chest and said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, That man is the one to whom I would dip the piece of bread and give it to him. So when he had dipped his piece of bread, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon. Scary. Imagine that moment you're in that room. Imagine being Judas, because you also have been around Jesus. So you know when he says this, even before he does it, that you're about to get a piece of bread. So when they were laying down in these little seats, like on their left side, the only way this would work is that John was right in front of him in order for him to lay back on his chest, right? So he was leaning, and he just leaned back onto his chest. And the only way it would work is that Judas was, Judas was right behind Jesus because that's how they, they would take and pass it on. So he had to be right behind him. Jesus was the guest of honor. He was the main person. He invited everybody to this meal, by the way. He told people to go prepare it. So he's the main person here. The only reason you get to sit next to him is if you are considered a person of honor. That's how these meals worked. So both John, maybe he was right. Jesus loved me. But, but Judas was also given a position that would be considered a position of honor. So imagine now that thought process. He's given me this position of honor, and I'm in this room, and I know what I'm about to do. You would think that that kind of conviction, that kind of feeling would just cause you, yeah, he's been so good, he's done all these awesome miracles, he's done all these really cool things, he's so faithful, yet I'm going to betray him and I'm going to turn him over so he'll be killed and, and crucified. And, and now that you're in this room and he's giving you this position of honor and he's washed my feet, right? This is kind of a crazy, that you think in that situation, but when your heart isn't ready to receive, 
or not willing to receive, right? The hardened heart is the worst. You know, there's a passage, we talk about the parable of the sower, the four different kinds of soil, which represent the heart in that passage. Talk about the four different soils that when the word of God, which is like a seed, lands on that soil, there's, there's only one ground that matters. That's good ground. It receives the word and then it grows healthy. But there is one, only one at all, where the, it never has growth, and that's the hard heart. The hard soil never had growth. And that's where Judas is at right now. He's there. It's all about 30 shekels of silver. He's in that moment, and all these things are happening. I've been in the presence of the Lord sometimes after having just a, a period of time in my life where I just was not go, as close to the Lord as I've you ever been there before. Where like I'm not walking close to the Lord like I should be right now. And then I walk into this place, and the presence of God is like, I'm melting in the presence of the Lord. It's amazing. And, it, and it just, the goodness is, of God is like all over me. And I'm sitting there, and in the middle of all that goodness, I'm recognizing all of my badness. And I'm like, I desperately need to repent right now. Lord, I'm sorry for everything I did. That's the response that somebody has who has a good ground in their heart, right? Somebody who's the right person, willing to receive. They're right with the Lord. Even though I've been doing the wrong things, my heart is still for Jesus. So then in that moment, I surrender to him. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it again. And I repent. He's in a similar type situation, in my opinion. Because Jesus is like right there, so he's literally there. He's washing his feet, right? He's spending his time doing these things. He's given him a position of honor, yet because his heart was such, such a bad place, heart was hardened and he didn't receive. Instead, he just took the bread that Jesus passed. So he dipped a piece of bread, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After this, Satan then entered him. He had an opportunity, I think, in this passage. Because it wasn't until after he received the bread that Satan entered. He made a decision, and his decision was resolute. He wasn't changing his mind. His heart wasn't in the right place. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you are doing, do it quickly. And of course, we know the story. Judas goes and ends up betraying Jesus. Jesus gets arrested. Jesus gets crucified. And in this word, I feel like there's a lot we can learn from, a lot of things we can learn from Jesus regarding humility and whatnot, but I think there's one important thing. As people who are walking with Jesus, and if you don't walk with Jesus, if you don't know the Lord, I mean, now's the time. Trust me, it's amazing. But we have to learn to constantly cultivate the soil of our heart. I want to make sure that I'm always receiving what the Lord has to say to me. I know that I'm going to mess up. I know that I'm going to fall short. I know I'm going to be stupid sometimes, right? That's just human nature. But at the same time, when the Lord speaks to me, I don't want to be like that ground that was full of rocks because that's one of the soils, full of rocks where the, it can grow up quickly, but because it never can get real good roots, right? If it never gets really good roots because my heart's not quite there, I'm like, Lord, I want you to take my rocky, thorny soil of a heart and I want you to remove all of those thorns and thistles. I want you to get in there, because you ever get landscaping done, you get sod, and you start going in there, and it's like rocks and stuff. They have to go in there to get rid of all of it in order for it to grow properly. That's what I need. I need, Lord, you come into my heart, into my life. I want you to uproot all of those things and clean it all out. And then now I've hidden your word in my heart because it's a treasure to me. 
And as I've hidden his word, I've loved his word, I've treasured his word, it is cultivating the soil. And it is constant, even when I'm not. Then all of a sudden, when the time is right, I'm in the right situation, the Lord begins to speak to me and draws me back to him. And I'm just like, yeah, good soil. I can receive what he has for me. It's simple. It's this. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you love him enough to surrender. It's about your acknowledgement of your mess and your recognition of his greatness. It's about your willingness to surrender your life to the Lord and my willingness to say, Lord, you can have it. Not some of it, but all of it. You can have it. If you want my heart, you got it. If you want my all, you got it. This is my prayer for all of us, and we're going to have time of prayer. You can worship. Come on up. We're going to have time of prayer. Anybody who wants prayer, feel free to come on up. I want to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus today, I'm, going to, I'm just going to encourage you. Um, today's the day of salvation. I'm going to be right over here, and I will pray with you. I want to help you to get to know Jesus. But also, if you have prayer needs for anything, it doesn't matter what it is. You can be sick in the body. You can have an issue that you're dealing with in life that you want prayer for. We want to pray for you for that as well. But the main thing is this. Our prayer today is, Lord, cultivate the soil of my heart. I want us to make that our prayer right now. Lord, cultivate the soil of my heart. I want to receive your instruction. I want to receive all the things that you have for me to do, um, even if it's hard. Lord, help me. Lord, help me to receive your correction and your rebuke. Lord, help me to receive not just your love. Right? Come on, you got to understand love. Help me receive the responsibility and commitment that comes with it. Right? Help me to receive those things because when I have that, now when the Lord speaks to me, I all, because I've already accepted responsibility, in my commitment, I'm like, Lord, I can take responsibility for that sin that I just did. And I repent and I turn my heart back towards you again. It's a really cool place to be in your life where you're walking like that because then you're not too arrogant to think I'm so perfect all the time. No, what you're doing is I'm always acknowledging, yeah, I mess up a lot. I really need Jesus right now over and over and over again. It's an everyday thing. Every single day, there's at least 10 times where I'm like, I really need you, Jesus, right now because I'm an idiot. Anybody been there? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm admitting it. And it's true, and, but in that kind of walk, there is freedom, and there's joy, and there's peace, and there's so much goodness that takes place as a result of it. So I'm going to pray and close. And if you need prayer for anything, um, come on up. We're going to pray with you. Lord, we thank you right now for your amazing love towards us that is real and sincere love. And for those who walk with you, we get to really see at a personal level what it's like to be loved by you. I pray for those, first of all, that may be in this room that don't know you. I pray that they would come to know you personally like many of us do. That they would begin to know your love at a deeper level or real level or relational level. In that relationship type mentality, Lord, there is revelation on a daily basis that comes from you. You open our eyes. You reveal things to us. You show us who you are every day. I pray that those who don't know you would walk into that today. I pray for your church that's here today that we would never get to a place where we treasure anything more than we treasure you. You are the treasure of our lives, Lord. We seek you. We turn our lives over to you. And your word is so valuable that we will bury it into our hearts, Lord. And as it's buried into our hearts, we pray that it would just constantly cultivate the soil of our hearts so that we would always be ready to receive whatever it is you want to say to us. I'm grateful as I read about Peter. I read somebody who reminds probably of a lot of us. There are a lot of times where we feel like you're doing something that's really cool and we don't think that we deserve it. So we just say, no, you can't do it. But Lord, you want to do it, so we should just let you. 
I'm thankful that somebody like Peter gives us an example of somebody who said no so many times, but ultimately ends up saying yes every time. Lord, I pray that we will learn to say yes to you. Help us to learn to say yes to you. Help us to learn to be obedient to you. Help us learn to follow you, because I know without a doubt, in obedience and in faithfulness and in following you, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. There is peace that transcends understanding. There is strength that comes from that joy. Right? There are so many amazing things and blessing and favor and goodness. So we pray right now in Jesus' name that you'd help us to walk humbly before you, serving first you and then each other. That you would be glorified in the deeds that we do, not just in the things we say. That our actions would follow our words. That we wouldn't be people who say, I love the Lord, but then we love everything else more. That we love the Lord, but we're not willing to serve. Instead, we want to make sure that we're seen. Lord, break us away from all of those mentalities. Free us from all selfish motives, Lord, that we would serve you humbly, broken and contrite, that you would have your way with us and that you would be honored in our lives, Lord, above anybody else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.